Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Christiana Best, host of the podcast Inside Out, Outside In. This podcast was developed for and by colleges and universities and its surrounding and supporting communities. The goal of the podcast is to inform, educate, and build community as well as inspire change. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of any college, university, or institution. I'm here today with Emmanuel Ihamadou, um, who is the pastor of St. John Paul of the Great Parish of Torrington in Connecticut, and also a faculty at the University of St. Joseph. Today, we're continuing our conversation on the topic of COVID-19 and equity. So hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm thank really- you for having me. Sure. I'm really excited to have you because we're colleagues and friends. And I thought, you know, it's really important to hear the voice of the clergy, um, given what's been happening with COVID-19, all the losses we've experienced, both, you know, real losses and also the symbolic losses of, you know, not being able to have funerals the way we we usually do, right? Having to improvise in many ways. Mm -hmm. And also given the climate that we're living in with COVID-19 and having to shelter in place and all the, the killing of black bodies that's been happening and all the racial tension, I thought, the voice that is missing in all of this is one of the clergy, and you are one of the people that I respect a great deal and thought, perfect. So <laughs> I hope I didn't put too much pressure on you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be, um, to be on your show um, and, and to discuss this important topic uh, that has to do with COVID-19 and also how folks are dealing with it, especially people of color. Um, so, so I'm happy to be here. Right. Well, thank you. And I thought you should probably just share with the audience a little bit more of your yourself in terms of your experience professionally, as well as your experience um, as a clergy. Well, as you pointed out, my name is Emmanuel Ihemedu. Um, uh, of course, from that last name, you know, you're wondering where where is he from? <laughs> well, I was born and raised in Nigeria, um, and, but I relocated by way of Argentina in, in January 2000. So um, I have my whole family in Nigeria, my father, my mother. I have a 93, 94-year-old father, 86-year-old mother, wow. and all my siblings are there. I'm the youngest of seven children. Um, so I relocated January 2000 and, um, uh, went to Mount St. Mary's Seminary and University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. That's where I did my theological studies. Um, and then was ordained in the Archdiocese of Hartford, I believe, um, it was in May 2006. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, shortly after that, I was, uh, assigned to a parish in New Haven, uh, St. Aidan and St. Brendan's Parish. 
And so I realized that um, most of the training I got in the seminary, um, while they were good, they were not enough for me to, um, to do inner city ministry. You know, so most of the people who would come to me, no one ever asked me about the features of God. You know, <laughs> they only they would come and, and tell me about some of their losses, a loss of a meaningful relationship, loss of job, loss of a loved one, um, issues relating to identity uh, as it relates to their children and stuff. So when I realized that, yeah, you can preach from here to tomorrow, and if I do not have the theories, the interventions, uh, I won't be able to help people model new behavior. So I went back to school. Mm-hmm. I went back to I went to Southern Connecticut State University and got a master's in counseling. And shortly after that, I went to UConn for a PhD in counseling psychology. Uh, graduated in 2018. So currently, I teach at uh, University of Saint Joseph. Right. I serve as a chaplain and as an assistant professor in the Department of Counseling and Applied Behavioral Studies. So I'm also a pastor of St. John Paul, a great parish in Torrington, Connecticut. So that's a little bit about my professional background. So, And you speak several languages. Well, I speak Igbo, which is my native language. I speak English. Uh, I also speak Spanish one of the few blessings God has bestowed upon me is the ability to be able to, you know, to learn a new language. And it has been very helpful in the ministry. Uh, for example, we have uh, a Spanish, an impressive uh, uh, Spanish community here in Torrington. And so every Sunday at 11.30 a.m. we have a service in Spanish. So I've been able to to do those masses as well and preach in Spanish, so which is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for that. I was always very interested in how, I know you have moved to online mass during COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you've had to adapt as well? And have you returned to in-person mass? <laughs> yes, uh, we returned to in-person I believe June 8th, we started with uh, the weekday masses. So, okay, we, we never heard online, you know, liturgies before. And nobody predicted this was going to happen, you know. So I, I went to Nigeria. I always go to Nigeria perhaps twice um, a year. So I came back actually January uh, 14th this year, um, you know, going back to normal way of life, going back to teaching and at the same time doing my pastoral work, only for us to, you know, find ourselves <laughs> in a pandemic, right? So we decided to quickly transition to online. Right. Uh, we did not have the capacity to do that here in church. Uh, so what I do is we, I bought tripods, I bought, you know, um, uh, some equipment for uh, recording. Um, so we quickly transitioned to Facebook Live, to YouTube. Uh, we, we started, um, we use flock notes, all kinds of ways to reach out to our community. So our weekday masses completely online, 8.30 a.m., 
uh, for 30 minutes. And we realized that we're, we're having, you know, people outside the four walls of our parish. So we have people from all over, tuning in from Nigeria, from Europe, mm-hmm. from Texas, from all over the nation, you know. So wow. joining our masses. And then on Sundays, instead of having our usual uh, six masses, we had only two, one at 10 a.m. and another another one at 11.30 in Spanish. And all of those were online. I did write a letter to my parishioners quickly just to let them know what we are doing to, uh, to carry them along, to make sure that uh, even though COVID is you know, robbing us of our way of life, but we right. do not want it to rob us of our relationship with the on high yes. so so we continued to do that i also we reached out to the local channel so they are now televising our weekday and sunday masses wow know, for those of our parishioners because we have a very aging population mm-hmm. and many of them are not you know facebook savvy many of them don't go on youtube so we thought that having the local channel uh, air our masses you know, right. weekly liturgies, that would be a way for us to reach those right. folks who are not able to do Facebook. So, wow. Yeah. So you really had to uh, adapt quickly, keeping in mind congregation are and deliver service for them in various ways. And you've managed to pick up worshipers from other countries as well. Yeah, yeah, because you have no, you're no longer limited, you know, to people within your zip code. Right. You know, so <laughs> you have parishioners from all over the world. And, and um, you know, I, sometimes I, it, it amazes me, uh, and that, and it gives me a special source of joy to see my family members, you know, joining in for for liturgies all, all the way from Nigeria, you know. Ah, so, yes, so I have some friends who would join in from New Mexico, from Las Vegas, from Texas. Uh, some of our parishioners who have family members all over, so they they join from Florida. Uh, we have actually uh, quite a lot of folks. Um, outside of Torrington who join every um, uh, every Sunday and sometimes during the week. It, it's, um, I mean, it's a very unusual, unusual thing, uh, including for the clergy. You know, many of us uh, had gotten accustomed to being in, in, you know, in that our little right. church. And do very our- structured, <laughs> especially the Catholic Church. <laughs> and I'm a Catholic; I can say that. <laughs> so, but but it's um, it's amazing, uh, you know, uh, that in how we quickly did that. Uh, sometimes I say that it's very surprising what we can do when we find ourselves in a very tough situation, you know. So. Um, we go deep down for a fate that is beyond our imagination and right. we become very creative, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. given that you have this new population that you've attracted to your uh, mass, 
Will you continue on an online component even after COVID-19? Hopefully we will be, we will get through this at some day. <laughs> but most people say, you know, um, our new normal is not going to be the way it used to be. So given that, do you see yourself continuing having an online audience going forward? <laughs> Uh, Christiana, we have already left Egypt. We're not going back. <laughs> We're marching to the promised land, so it, there is no going back. As a matter of fact, we returned to, you know, in church services since, I mean, for the weekdays since right. June 8th. Right. But I have never stopped the online services. You know, this past weekend, we, we returned to Sunday liturgies in church. Right. Yet, we're still, you know, live streaming our um, 10 a.m. mass and our Spanish mass. So there's no going back. We, right. we have to keep, keep moving in that direction. Because there are folks, I mean, there are folks who are not going to come back to church. Right. I mean, yeah. come back to worshiping inside the church building. Exactly. I have people who have told me they are not coming back to church until vaccines are out. Right, right. And we have people with underlying conditions who do right. not want to take the risk. Right. You know? So even though we have, uh, we provide disinfectants, you know, mm -hmm. put them in spray bottles, we have right. them in the pews, right. and we invite parishioners to disinfect wipe down the pews before you sit and before you leave. And we provided trash cans inside church so right. people could put them as they go. And then after, uh, our property manager, we go around and disinfect the whole church. So right. yet people, there are people for good reasons yeah. do not want to go. And we want to keep them engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that will be a new normal. Yeah. <laughs> you can call it new abnormal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the losses that has happened in your in your uh, community. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a great deal of losses and um, funerals have changed. You know, it it I never realized how much it allowed um, I gave the those that are left behind the opportunity to grieve. Right. It's, and grieving is a, is part of letting go. Mm -hmm. And if we're not having funerals the way we used to have it, I'm sure it has been difficult. How have you adapted and what do you see among your parishioners and how are you supporting them in this process of grieving? You know, Torrington was actually hit hard. We had about 520 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in wow. Toronto and in the Litchfield uh, County, um, I think it was about 1,494 confirmed cases mm. and about 137 deaths. Wow, wow. And I can tell you that um, between my assistant and myself, we probably did up to 20 to 25 of those, those funerals. Mm. And uh, it's really tough for families, especially these are folks who died alone. You know, um, they, yes. didn't have, they didn't have those sacred 
moments with their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them, you know, where good fortune prevailed, uh, the nurses would FaceTime family members to say goodbye, you know. Uh, and when they die, you know, the funeral directors would pick up the body in those bags, and that's how they go into the casket. Right. You know, and that's how they, either they are cremated or they are brought to the cemetery. No traditional wake service, you know, no viewing of the body. Right. Um, and when the family, when, they, when you get to the cemetery, you are about 6 to 12 feet away from the casket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, not, you're not able to hug the family member to console them. Right. Um, so our traditional way of being there, of pastoring, of you know, meeting the families, meeting their needs, pastoral needs, all of those are thrown out. So it's very awkward very, very hard. A quick prayer. Keep in mind you have a mask on and you do not have more than five uh, people there. Now we can have up to 50, but then it was only mm. only about five people. Wow. And, and you know, grieving is, um, there is grief all over. Um, it's not just about people who lost loved ones and who are not able to grieve in the traditional way. The, the, the way I, I define grief in a way that it makes sense to me is that feeling that you have when you are reaching out, you know, for someone or for something that has always been there, only for you to reach out one more time and discover they are no longer there, you know. So um, the feeling you have when you're reaching out for your school and that school is no longer available. You reach out for your church, your church is no longer available. You reach out for that restaurant that you normally would like to go with your family on Sunday afternoon or something, it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Or the bar, you wanna go have a glass of wine or something, mm-hmm. a drink, is no longer there. You know, all of those things that you used to do, they are no longer there. So there is this loss right. all over. Uh, people have lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not able. They are now not able to put food on the table. People are worried about what's going to happen in the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to send my children to school? What if they catch mm-hmm. this um, deadly disease? So mm-hmm. it is really, really all over. And and many people, uh, I know some parishioners who have called. Um, you know, they are not only dealing with loss of a loved one, but you have grief compounding upon grief, you know, so multiple griefs here and there. And so what do you do? You try to normalize it. You try to let them know that not two people grieve in the same way. You know, Shakespeare says all of us are masters of grief, except the people who are grieving, you know, so, and, and what I've been trying to do is to normalize those feelings they are having, because what, has always been the case, is no longer the case for them. And warning them about those normal emotions associated with loss and encouraging them to, if you want to take a walk, take a walk. If you need to call somebody, call someone. If you need to cry, it's okay mm-hmm. to cry because it's normal what mm-hmm. is happening. This is not what we're used to. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like everything that gives meaning to life is being taken away. 
And so people do not know how to respond to it. So basically trying to normalize their frustrations, you know, their emotions and and what they are feeling. That's how we're dealing with it from this side. Uh, Calling families, checking up on them and and asking them to call. Sometimes I have got to do a one-on-one with some parishioners over the phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like some of them who lost loved ones and were not able to be there. And not sure, and dealing with guilt, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with all kinds of stuff. So yeah, so it's it's crazy, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. But but that's what we are doing uh, to help church members uh, remain engaged, uh, you know, because some they, they may think they are going crazy, but I say you're not crazy. It's normal. Well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of work, a lot of work. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure your degree comes in handy, right? Your counseling yes. ex- experience. Yeah, Yeah, it, it does because um, you can preach to someone from here to tomorrow. You can have them read the Bible from here to tomorrow. But if you're not able to... Uh, understand the dynamics of a family life. If you're not able to understand, you know, the impact of grief, uh, if you're not able to understand how um, a mental illness can take a toll on someone's life and affect everything, if you're not able to understand those, how are you going to be able to help the person model a new behavior? You know, very true. Very so true. You can pray. You can pray. You can show them. You know, you know. You can assure them of God's love and all of that. That's very important. That is critical. Right. But at the same time, say, you know, have you thought about this? You know, what are you doing about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and show them some practical ways, some things they can do to keep them engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, to help them so that they are not living in their head constantly. Right. You know. Right. So. So they can at least have a break, right? You know, from 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 the way they are feeling, from being overwhelmed. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and in the midst of this, and I'm not sure what um, what the racial and cultural uh, demographic is for your um, congregation and parishioners, but in the midst of this, we've had a series of black men. And, and women, Brianna Taylor, um, that have been killed. And people have literally had to watch the killing of um, uh, George Floyd and Richard Brooks, um, which can, you know, it can traumatize people vicariously, you know, watching it, and also trigger past tra- traumas that they've experienced. And as a clinician, I know you understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that show up in your parishioners in addition to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic? Well, I must say, uh, first of all, as a Black priest uh, working in America, um, especially the, uh, the George Floyd incident, 
I was very, very saddened by it. I must say I couldn't finish watching, you know, that clip. I felt unwell, you know, nauseated. Um, uh, and, I, and I kept wondering how can, how can one, you know, treat another human being in that way. Here we have, uh, we do not have a lot of, you know, people of color in my parish. You know, we do not have a lot of black folks in the in the church, but we do have quite a good mix of people from, we have uh, Irish, we have Italians, we have Slovaks, we have Polish. We also have people from Ecuador. We have people from Colombia, from Mexico, from Puerto Rico. Yeah, um, so you probably have, uh, in our system, I probably would say we have maybe up to five to six, you know, um, African-American uh, families, Irish. Wow. In, yeah. So. so we do, it's a minority. They're <laughs> <laughs> a good minority, so... <laughs> When this, when the incident happened, I must confess that I have been, folks, there are a lot of people from the parish who reached out to me. Uh, I received phone calls, mm. uh, parishioners empathizing with me. Even when Candice Owen made her clip and was talking about uh, how, you know, George Floyd should not be celebrated and all of that. I had a parishioner reach out to me to say, oh, no, nobody's celebrating him. He was a victim. We were right. talking about him being a victim, that right. she got confused. Right. You know, so I had so many, so many of them reached out to empathize and to wonder, you know, how, um, how I'm dealing with it. Wow. You know? Yes. So I was really, really moved by that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I said to them, well, the best way that we can, uh, you can reach out to me is to ensure that no opportunity goes by. You know, you have no missed opportunity to stand up for what you believe in, to stand up against racism. Mm-hmm. It is real. No one is born, because uh, I keep asking myself, where does this begin? Okay, that has the question for me. I was raised in a place where uh, my parents, my environment, everyone instilled in me a sense of self-worth, you know, right, that, right. that I am comfortable in my own skin and I'm, black is beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, <laughs> it is real. Mm-hmm. It is real. I think it's a learned behavior. Right. My parents never taught me to see someone in a negative way, okay? But these things happen in our kitchens. Mm-hmm. When Kids watch their parents talk about people of color in a negative way, in a very derogatory way. Mm-hmm. Them black people, or talk about them Jamaicans, or them West Indians, or them, mm-hmm. you know, Africans, or them Mexicans. Mm-hmm. They grew up with that kind of mindset, mm-hmm. you know. And when you see a kid, you know, you look at them like they're they are to be feared. You see a black person, you've been taught, you've been socialized to see them as people to fear, you know, people to run away from or to defend yourself from or to protect yourself from. And and so instead of seeing them as another human being, you know, with mm-hmm. 
dignity, you know, mm-hmm. like you. That's that's somebody's brother, somebody's father, just like you, somebody's cousin, somebody's, you know, mm-hmm. um, relative. In the same way, you appreciate yours, right? Right. You know, so right. it has more to do with the way we are raised. Do not allow any opportunity to go by, and you see something, you see a racist attitude, a racist behavior, and you keep quiet. Don't stand on the sideline and keep quiet and say nothing. Right. You know, no, that's not right. Right. That, yeah. That's a human being like you. That's like your son. Okay. So speak up. Calling me, yes. But I think that that would be much more meaningful if you go back and teach your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, to love every human being and right. treat them the way that Jesus would treat all of us. You know, I give you an example. I was in Argentina. This happened to me. So I was going to a mall, into the mall, Unicenter Mall. It was a Sunday. And, you know, folks in Latin America have this superstitious belief about uh, in the porous. Okay. So, and some folks saw me. By then, this was in 1997, 98. You would probably count all the black people in Buenos Aires, a city that has over 10,000, 10 million people. Wow. Yes. So, and people will see me and they want to, they say, can we touch you? And I say, where? (laughs) So so they will touch my, you know, my skin and they will do the sign of the cross. Then I found out it had something to do with um, St. Martin de Paris, that if you see a black person and you touch them, it brings you good luck. What? (laughs) Never heard of that before. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, wow, that's okay. You can get your luck. That's fine. (laughs) So I was coming out and I see this little girl with her parents. And this little girl started shouting when she saw me. Mama, mama, mira se pinto, mira se pinto. Mom, mom, see, he painted himself, he painted himself. Mm. The mother wanted to die. She's like, cachate, hija, cachate. She wanted to, you know, close her mouth. And this girl said, no, mommy, no, mommy, mira, mira, se pinto, se pinto. So when I got closer, by then I was teaching for Berlitz Language School. I saw the father. The father happened to be a student. And he said, oh, that's Emmanuel. This little girl looked at me and said, ¿Por qué te pintaste? Why did you paint yourself? Mm. I said, no, no me pinté. I did not paint myself. She said, if you did not paint yourself, how come the color of your skin is different from the color of your palm? Mm. <laughs> In a real flash of brilliance... <laughs> I don't know where I got that. I said, when God painted me, I had my palms on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she was relieved. Ah, she wow. Was, oh, she was relieved. You see, someone once said that racism is actually telling God that he created someone wrong. That he made a mistake. Mm. And our God did not make a mistake in creating us. We are special. Mm -hmm. We are blessed. 
mm-hmm. you know, and we are who he says we are. So if people can actually, you know, teach their loved ones, teach their children to see everyone in the face of everyone, the image of our Savior, whether you are white, whether you are black, whether you are, you know, Hispanic, whether you are Asian, it doesn't matter. But if we can actually see in the faces of every human being, the image of our Lord Jesus, maybe, maybe we'll get somewhere. Right. You know, you wouldn't believe it, but here, I know I'm all over the place in this, but I oh, want to, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have been called in to do a funeral right here in town. And the family member said, oh no, he's not going to do it. Really? And the funeral director said, what the heck are you talking about? She says, oh no, my father is going to roll over in his grave knowing that a black person officiated his funeral. What? (laughs) Yep. Today, in 2020. I am telling you. And the funeral director says, what about you? She's like, I'm not like my father. She says, oh no, you are like your father. Your father is gone and we're having this conversation. Exactly. So exactly. reluctantly, they allowed me to do the funeral. And thank God I did not know. I had no idea. Ah. Least, yes, I had no idea. We, and I'm glad I did not know. Right. Because I probably would, would not have gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> or if I had gone, I probably would have felt uncomfortable. Right, right. Know? But I went. I was my usual self. I had no knowledge what had transpired. And the individual reached out after to apologize and to say that she would like to hear me again speak. Mm. Wow. I have been called to a nursing home to anoint two individuals who were dying, two different occasions, and they turned down the invitation. When they learned you were black? I showed, showed up, went into the room, they said, oh, no. They requested for a white priest. Wow. So for them, a priest has to be white. So I said to ma'am, you, you, gotta wait. you have to wait for a very long time because <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I don't have a white one to send you. <laughs> it's amazing, my God, that racism exists, you know, in the church. Well, I shouldn't be amazed by that. I shouldn't but... be because this is what I say. You know, I know as a counselor and as a clinician, I should know better. Uh, I know we're not leopards, you know, the leopard does not change its spots, but we have the capacity to change. Right. But I also believe that, you know, if, if, if a racist, somebody who's been groomed, socialized to be a racist, becomes a priest, unless there is a fundamental change, he will be a racist. Right, absolutely. If if one becomes a police officer, he would be a racist. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if, if just like if you're a thief, you know, and you have a tendency to take what does not belong to you, and you become a priest, you will steal the church money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the behavior will continue. Right. <laughs> yes. You know. So uh, it's like habit is like a second nature. Mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. it takes really a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of you know self will and mm-hmm. efforts uh, mm-hmm. you know and holding one's account one accountable to be able to mo- to change yes. you know yes. so 
So it doesn't matter whether you're a priest, whether you're a bishop, whether you're a pope. If you are a racist and you're not working towards changing, it's going to show up yeah. in your yeah. behavior, in your decisions, yeah. in all of that. It's going to come across. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's interesting because I I was thinking that your parishioners were experiencing racism and they would come to you and you would be the counselor. But it was really inspiring you know, inspiring to hear that you yourself experienced it. Oh, yes. And we don't often think of the priests as <laughs> having a human side to them. So thank you for sharing that part because, you know, you can be my brother, you can be, you know, and and to, it hurts to hear about those experiences. It does. And on one occasion, the, it, it happened at the nurse's station and the nurse felt so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, no, no. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel bad. It's not your fault. Right. And don't, don't, don't have pity, you know, for me. Right. I am good. All <laughs> I want you to do is to put it in the record that I showed up and this patient declined to receive the anointing. Yeah. But as for me, it doesn't change who I am. Right. I am comfortable in my own skin, yeah. <laughs> you know, and whatever you say, it's not going to change how I feel about myself. Right. You know, thank God yeah. that my happiness is not without, it's within. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But it hurts because rejection hurts. And I know that when I have experienced it, I have felt so many different emotions within a period of one moment, but I think it's it's we have to take care of ourselves and mm -hmm. feel centered in our bodies and centered in our identities and particularly understanding that that is an issue this person has mm -hmm. and it's outside of us. It's outside of our control. Um, that's a good message um, for young people. I have a professor who taught me when things like this happen, he said, oh, that's, that's not my problem. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <That> problem. <laughs> Theirs, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's yours, not that's mine. Yours, Take not mine. Mine. <laughs> no, why allow that? To live in my head without paying rent. <laughs> Another good saying and a good point. Why allow someone to live in your head without paying rent? Good point. Yeah, Very good. Pay rent, point. Or you give them a quick notice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. This has been a really great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I was just going to ask you as we try to wrap it up is if you have any words of wisdom for um, my audience uh, as it relates to the pandemic that we're experiencing, but also racism, because I'm centering the people of color in, in this podcast and they're experiencing both at this point. Um, I say... <coughs> to fellow brothers and sisters, um, you know, uh, regarding COVID-19, it may take away, it may have succeeded in taking away our way of life, uh, you know, what we're used to, uh, but it cannot 
take away Jesus from us, right? So uh, I said, do not throw in the towel, you know, hang in there. Uh, it is not over until God says it's over. And do not put a period where God has only put a comma, okay? Remember, we are all divine projects, and our God is never known for abandoning any of the projects that he has started. So he will bring the project to fruition. So hang in there. Uh, with regard to uh, the man in humanity, to man and the injustice, uh, as it relates to racism, I equally say to you, uh, you are who God says you are. Okay, so do not give up as it relates to, to the good cause. Keep on, you know, keep on keeping on. In other words, continue to stay focused, continue to demonstrate to the whole world that everybody matters to God. Okay, that we as a people, that we matter to God and that no one is going to be able to take that away. Regardless of our socioeconomic status, regardless of our gender, regardless of our sexual orientation, you know, regardless of our uh, of background, for every single one of us, we all matter to God. And so when you stand up for what you believe in and be true to who you are and continue to promote you know, equality and justice, I'm only asking that we do not degenerate into, into violence. We don't want to be distracted. We have a bigger fish to fry. And what happens is that people start paying attention to the qualifiers, you know, to, okay, all of these accidents here and there. And, and, and then we lose focus, we lose keeping our eyes on the goal, which is the equality and the fact that we should not be treated like second-class citizens, we are not, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. the moment, you know, the cause degenerates into violence, into uh, antisocial behaviors, what happens is, you know, we get distracted. And the national discourse, you know, gets off on the wrong exit. Right. right? And we, we don't want that. So, right. but nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Okay. So stay strong, stay focused. You are who God says that you are, and no one will be able to take that away. Okay. You just have to understand that uh, the way I look at obstacles, and that has been very helpful in my journey. Whenever I see an obstacle, whenever I see a brick wall, I ask myself, is this an impediment or is this actually a question for me to know how much I want it? Is this an opportunity for me to declare my desire and claim it? And so what I do is in the face of an obstacle, in the face of a brick wall, I put a ladder on it. And I clamp over. <laughs> <laughs> Good image. Good image to end on. Thank, yeah. you. Thank, you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Sure. Continue and to take care of yourself. You too. And stay, stay healthy and be safe. Thank you. I will. Wear masks. Tell your audience, okay? <laughs> it's not a host, okay? Right. It's, it's important, 
Yes. Right? Yes. yes. It's important that we stay healthy. Only yes. the healthy and only the, only the living will praise God. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> if you have good dreams and aspirations, if you're not healthy, you will not be able to accomplish it. Right. So please, please pay attention to CDC guidelines. Pay attention to the scientists. Pay attention to the doctors. Let us not put our loved ones in danger. Right. Okay? Because what happens is those people who work at CNAs, nurses, doctors are from our communities. So we have to wear masks. Yes. We have to protect ourselves. Okay? All right. Stay strong. Muy bien. Thank you so much.